Well, this is the second part of the three parts of perfect peace. As last week, Pastor Ben preached on perfect peace. There were three things he mentioned about perfect peace. I uh, just want to touch on that very quickly. He said, first of all, the world's peace is incomplete and temporary. In other words, what the world offers doesn't last very long in terms of being able to place us in a place of contentment. The second thing he mentions that the world's peace ignores eternal realities. What is this eternal reality that all of us have sinned and come short of God's glory? Unless we repent of our sins, we will die and we will miss heaven. In hell, we will lift up our eyes in internal, for eternal flames and punishment. So the, the world's peace offers this temporary thing, but it does nothing for the eternal consequences. And third, he mentioned peace with God allows us to experience the peace of God. The peace, peace with God came as a result of what Jesus Christ did at the cross. And we're no longer enemies to God. We are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ through the blood of, of the Lamb. So now because of, we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God. Amen. We have the peace of God. Very quickly, you know, most of uh, our writings of who said what is in the notes itself. But I just want to open up. There was a statement about peace by Warren Wiersbe. And he said this about peace. Real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change or control the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us. And this is what we need to understand. Because the type of peace that we're looking at in these next three weeks is not natural. It's supernatural. So if we're trying to find this area of contentment through natural means, even as a believer, we're going to find ourselves on shaky ground. In John chapter 14, verse 27, it talked about how Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives it do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Two things we want to take a look at. The, term, the t- title we're looking at is Peace in the, f- in the Face of Fear and Chaos. Chaos is defined as complete disorder or confusion. Chaos is defined by, as complete disorder and confusion. Fear is defined, and I love this acronym, fear is false evidence appearing real. It is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is likely to cause pain. Or a second definition of this false evidence appearing real, the likelihood of something unwelcome happening. Now, let me ask you this question. If you went to sleep knowing that you are in an incredible battle, knowing what you're facing is beyond you or beyond your resources, and as the sun set, you begin to sleep with all this stuff weighing in your spirit. I don't know how many of you have ever gone to bed with just a heavy spirit of things that you're having to deal with. Anybody? It could make for a very interesting night of sleep. And some of us don't sleep at all well when we have so much in our spirit. But what if right before you, the sun rose, and what if right before you open your eyes, God showed you a vision of something, a reality, when you put your foot on the floor? What if he showed you a picture 
of this. Put that, pick the picture up. <laughs> what if he showed you this before the day began? What if he showed you that on the very portals of time itself, that the angels were standing ready for the moment you open your eyes and put your foot on the floor, we're about to go to work for you. If he showed you that, would your day change? If he showed you this, would everything change in terms of the situation you find yourself in? Because that's the reality of every believer. So today it all changes. There are several questions I want to ask you throughout the course of this message. And we're going to use the Word of God to answer these particular questions. So if we look at our world today and we see the chaos, the disorder, and the confusion, and we see the fear, things that looks real but it's not, we need to ask ourselves the first question is this. Why is the world the way it is? Why is this? Because we know when we look at Genesis, we see order. We see peace. We see contentment. We see everything in its place because it reflects the God of order. But we need to ask ourselves, why is the world this way? Now, the reason why I ask that question is because time and time again, both the unsaved and the saved, if we're not careful to really understand the answer to this question, we will have a tendency to blame God for the disorder in our lives. There will be a tendency that the enemy may convince us that God doesn't care, God left you, that is God's fault. And so what happens, the reality is he wants you to push back from what you know to be a faith in God. So let's take a look at the first one, which is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Why is the world this way? Here's what it says. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, ma and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now leave that scripture up. Why is the world the way it is? Paul writes this incredible piece of truth to the, the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were. He said, he began to describe your condition. He says, in which you once walked or continue to walk following the course of this world, following, and here's what he describes, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience. They don't disobey the word of God because they reject it. They disobey the word of God because Satan has convinced them that God's truth don't make sense. He gives them another path to follow. And so he describes to them, you used to be like this. You used to walk according to the course of this world, being affected by everything in this life. But he says, you're not like that anymore. This stuff doesn't affect you anymore. You don't walk that path anymore. You're not controlled by the enemy anymore. Because even though the chaos is outside of you, there is peace on the inside of you. Supernatural peace is a very interesting thing. 
The peace of God causes you to look at circumstances differently than you used to look at them. Things that used to cause you to lose your mind. Give peace, a piece of your mind to people. Flip out, take pills, get a drink, do drugs. Don't, for some reason, supernaturally, those things don't affect you anymore. And it's because of what's on the inside, not on the outside. So we see in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3, Paul describes to them there is a course you used to follow, but then there is a prince and the power that is at work influencing. Further with that, we can take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the New Living Translation, it says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, now watch how he describes him. Satan, who is the God, little g, of this world, has done what? Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what are you saying? What is these two passages of Scripture revealing to us about why there is so much chaos and violence and, and fear in the world? He says because the author of that chaos and the author of that fear is Satan, who the Bible declares him to be the little God of this world. So how does he do this? How does he, how does he create this? Because part of our understanding is that we know when Jesus died on the cross, he stripped Satan of his power. So how is he able to get away with what he's doing? Satan is termed by the apostle Paul the god of this world because he makes use of the things of this world, especially of its riches, its honor, its pleasures, and various vanities to obtain and establish his dominion over a great part of mankind. What he does, he uses the things of the flesh to enslave us. And when we look at the pleasures of this life, Satan convinces the world that this is what you need, and yet the truth of God's word does not make sense. So he keeps them looking here versus looking there. And because he, focused, he keeps them focused on the things of this life, the truth is veiled and hidden from them. So he uses the things of this world. He uses the things of this world to cause them to blind their minds and their eyes from the truth. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 tells us this. For we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, there's two things going on here. First of all, we see we know that we are from God, but we also know that the power, the, the, the world lies under the power of the evil one. But here's what he makes known. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding. So what is tripping the world up is not tripping us up. I know there are those of you sitting in under the sound of my voice. 
You feel like the walls are caving in. The ceiling is coming down. That you are in the fire and that thing has been turned up. You've been losing sleep, can't sleep at night, wandering, tossing to and fro about, Lord, if you are real, I need you to show up and manifest yourself. The thing you need to understand is that the peace that we so desire to be in is supernatural, as I said before, which means it goes beyond circumstances that we find. As a matter of fact, you will only understand the peace of God when you're in the midst of chaos. You will only be able to identify the difference between worldly peace and supernatural godly peace when you're in something that stretches your peace. That stretches your faith. Every man or every woman here that ever lifts weights, you will know how strong you are when you get up under the weight to press it, and it will tell you where you are physically. Brother Marty's been encouraging me to go out to Planet Fitness with Nate, so he and Nate been working out. So I told him I was coming. I hadn't showed up yet. Aren't you glad Jesus is not like Pastor Freddie? Jesus said he's coming. He's coming. <laughs> so we identify that Satan is the source and the creator of this chaos and this fear. So if we know that the world is the way it is because of Satan, the second question I need to ask you is, since knowing that, where is the source of our peace found. Where is the source? The Bible tells us that we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of his dear son. Here's what he was saying. He said, because of your heart affection toward God, you have been translated out of not knowing into now knowing. God has moved you from, from trying to figure out how to putting you into a place, not how, but knowing who now. What is interesting about understanding how to answer this question is you and I need to understand, God never, ever promised us that after we receive Jesus Christ, everything will be fine. I was careful to say that because I didn't want anybody to walk out. You and I just need to understand, we live in a fallen world. And sometimes our choices puts us in some very interesting situations, and sometimes people's sin affect us. And we see it all the time. One of the most baffling stories to preach is Job. Because if you open up the first chapter of Job, God himself declared that this man was more righteous than anybody in the land. But if you continue reading it, it makes you scratch your head what he's having to deal with. Because somehow in our mind, we have, we have formulated this thought that if I am a child of God and I'm saved and born again, that nothing bad or worse is supposed to happen to me. Everything's supposed to be butterflies, Oreo cookies, and milk and sunshine. <laughs> and everybody in here knows that that is not true. But here is the reality of all of the stuff we deal with. Christ overcame, he now declares us to be overcomers. I love what David said. David said, he will prepare a table before me. 
ain't just, God says, I'm not just fixing the table for you. I'm fixing the table for you in the presence of your haters. I'm fixing this buffet for you, but I want them to understand I am God. I fix this and don't touch this. Sometimes God will allow circumstances to come in in a season of your life just so he can show the enemy he or she is not who you have been accusing them of. Come on, somebody. The enemy thought that by touching your marriage, he can rock your faith. I have this saying, and I want you to adopt it. Satan, in the heat of the battle, this is what I want you to say. Every time you do what you do, I'm going to do what I do as a believer. Now, if you don't want me to do what I do as a believer, go on my knees and pray to God, look in his word for strength, then you better step off. Because every time you run up, you're going to get done up. So where is the source of our peace? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 33 says this. For God is not a God of confusion. In the English Standard Version, it says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So we know that if there is any confusion, you know it's not from God. Interesting, in the New Living Translation, that same verse says this. For God is not a God of disorder, but he's a God of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. This passage of scripture has to do with public worship and speaking in tongues when we gather. But the context here is relevant to the message because everywhere God shows up, he brings order. He brings order. Order is who he is. John chapter 14, 27, let's go back to it. Now, I want you to see this. Where's the source of our peace? Jesus says this to his disciples. Now, before we read it, you just need to understand. Here, he's coming to the end of his journey. He knows the time of his death is now. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the life or been around someone, a loved one, who was about to pass away. What they start to do is they start putting things in order. They call the family in, and it says, this is where this is, and this is where this is, and this is for you, and I want you to have this, and you to have that. They begin to put things in order because you realize the temporal things of this life is meaningless at this point. Things that used to rock us and keep us, you know, not able to sleep when we're about to slip off to eternity, into eternity don't matter anymore. So live your life like you're leaving so you can have the peace of God because all this is going to be fleeting and fading anyway. And so here is Jesus. He's getting ready to leave. And so you would think that he would be focusing on, man, I got to get through this. This is going to be that. No, he stops for one moment. And here is what he tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What was Jesus saying? He said, guys, I'm getting ready to leave, but there is a gift I want to leave with you. He says, I'm not giving you peace. Because it was customary during that time that when someone was departing, they, they give you a shalom during that time. Shalom, may the shalom of God go with you or peace be with you. 
Not like that. He was not giving. He says, I am giving you a gift. And the gift that I'm going to give to you is my peace. Somebody said my peace. Now, what is interesting is if you don't really know what Christ's peace looked like, then you're not going to appreciate the gift when it's given. So let me do this. Let's navigate to see what does the peace of God look like when he says, I'm giving you my peace. What does Christ's peace look like? Look at uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Let's take a look at it. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. What does his peace look like? On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And one verse, a tempest arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a floaty device. He was sleeping on a life preserver. See, a life preserver, a floaty is designed for you to wear it in case the boat sinks and it will keep you afloat. But here was interesting that in the middle of this storm, Jesus, the life giver, was sleeping on a life preserver. I find that very interesting. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you, have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Now, what has this story got to do with anything? Remember, in verse 27 of John chapter 14, put that back up, please. Watch this. John chapter 14, verse 27. It says, peace I leave with you. And he says, my peace. My peace. Not your mama peace. Not your daddy peace. Not Trump's peace. You don't need that. Not the world's peace. He says, I'm giving you my peace. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 1, demonstrates and illustrates what kind of peace he was giving to them. Look at, the, look at verse 38, because I want to focus on those words, both in the English Standard Version and the New Living Translation. Watch this. He says, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now go to the next one, the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Now let's go back to verse 38 in the English Standard Version. Here's what it says. What does the peace that Christ is offering his disciples and what is the peace he offers you and I now that we're born again? What does it look like? It looks like when all hell is coming against your resources, your finances, your marriage, your health, you can lay down at night and say, God, peace will be still with my soul. 
He will calm the storms in you. Peace does not all, God's peace does not always still the storms, the, the storms around you. It's designed to still the storms in you. We have to be determined that if we cry all night, that we weep and our hearts are broken because we've been battling throughout the day, that, Lord, even though I cry and my faith is being tested, one thing is for sure, I will not lose my faith in a faithful God because you've always shown yourself to be faithful. We have to have this bulldog tenacity in the middle of what we're dealing with to put our foot flat on the word of God and his truth and says, God, if you only give me 3%. God, if you only give me 2%. God, if the doctor only give me 1%, that's enough to kick the door down for God to show up. You and God is always the majority. God by himself is the majority. All you need to tell me is that there is a slight chance, and then I will activate my faith in God. Just give me a little bit of hope, and I will walk in that thing with God. Because God has not left you, and God has not forsaken you. So what is he doing? What does his faith look like? He's in the boat sleeping. I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they stood before old King Nebi. When Nebi uh, 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 put this big statue up and he wanted everybody to worship it at the sound of the music, and these three boys stood like somebody had stuck a rod in their spine and they couldn't bend. And they was brought before the king. The king said, I'm going to give you one more chance. Bow down to the image of this culture. Because what's happening, we're seeing people bowing to the image of fear and chaos and falling under that image. But they went before the king and said, oh, king, we just want you to understand something about the God we serve. He is able to deliver us from this furnace, so you just need to know that. But just in case he doesn't and we perish, we're still not going to bow. Your victory is not always predicated on whether or not God does everything you tell him to do. Because he's God and God alone. You see, you need to understand, loss to God is not the same way we see loss. Because sometimes loss can be gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is... Y'all don't hear me in here. For me to live in Christ and to die is if you have ever lost anything you will realize there's so much more on the other side of loss than you had trying to hang on to it to yourself now I want you to see this look go back in verse 38 because we want to take a look at this Watch this. There are two things here we need to see, how, how the, 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 the disciples responded to this storm. Verse 38 in the, in the English standard, it says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The word perishing is an indication that something is going on at the moment that possibly will not end well. Then go to the next one. 
teacher, don't you care that we are, we're going to drown? In other words, this is slightly different. The first one says, we're in a state of emergency right now. The second one is saying, if we continue doing this, it's not going to be well down the road. We might drown. So God is the God of your present circumstance and the God of your future circumstances. And it will go the way he wants it to go. And they will trouble. Now, I'm not going to criticize the disciples for how they responded to the storm. You know why? I've been in a boat. I have been in a boat, and I've seen the guy, uh, uh, guys I've been in a boat with, and these storm clouds make up, and we're trying to outrun storms. I have been there. Boy, if you ever want to test your faith, get in a boat. <laughs> Not that big one where you have a cabin cruise and you eat all day. We ain't talking about that. I mean, that don't test your faith unless, of course, the power go out. <laughs> so I'm not going to criticize could be critical of how they responded because right now some of you are responding this way. Lord, don't you care? That if this doesn't change, God, it might not go well. Lord, don't you care that if I continue in this path that I might lose something? Once again, what does this peace look like? Watch how Jesus responds. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 39 and 40. Here's what he says. Watch Jesus' response. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And here's how he responded. He said to them, Why are you so afraid. Have you still no faith? Now, Pastor Vern, when I read verse 40 in my studies, that last, no, put that back up. That last part caught my attention. Have you still no faith? And I begin to now go back to the preceding chapters to find out why would he tell them, have you still no faith? And let me just lay out some things for you. It's not on the screen. Let me just tell you. Number one, leading up to this event, he had fed the 5,000. He had raised a girl who was dead. When he walked into the room, there was a, <coughs> excuse me, they were, <coughs> they were having a commotion. Jesus walks in and tells them, this girl is not dead. She's asleep. And they all laughed at him. And Jesus kicked them out of the room. And he said, tulite, tulite kume. And said, that means damsel, get up. This girl coughed and sneezed one time and stood up. Then not only that, leading into this event, he anointed them and they went out and preached and the signs with demons being cast out and, and the people were healed and they came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, it's amazing. And he says, what's amazing? He says, we saw demons jumping out of windows and out of cars and, you know, flying out of houses and, and you know, people being healed. And Jesus had to remind them, guys, don't rejoice because demons and devils are subject to you, but rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He said, now, he says, after seeing all of that, do you still have no faith? Is there anybody in here who can raise your hand and says, God 
has been faithful to show himself strong in every one of your circumstances that you have trusted him in. Let me see you wave your hand. Now, let me, tell you, let me ask you this question. When did God stop being God to you? When did Jesus lose his power? Was it when he refused, when the sun stopped shining for 12 hours? Because last time I checked, it's still. When the moon is no longer giving out its lesser light at night? Because last time I checked, it was a beautiful moon last night. When the, when, when the green grass is no longer eaten by a brown cow to produce white milk? Because I still bought some milk the other day. When did God stop being God to you? When did he stop being God? God, at what point? At what point in your storm did he stop being God to you? Because whether you recognize him or not, he is still God, even in the storm. I believe God is a storm chaser. He rides on the very thing that causes most people to sink in. And he said, because I'm able to walk on the water, he said, I'm going to cause you to have faith in me to rise above that when you believe I am who I am. It's not your faith that causes you to have triumph. It is faith in Christ. It is faith in Christ. Wow. What does the peace look like? It looks like looking at your circumstances and says, my child has flipped out, have flipped their wig out. But you look at that child and it's like, you may not tell them. And the enemy trying to rock your boat by this rebellious child, you can look at it and say, you have no idea when you sleep at night that that little liquid you feel on that pillow is anointing oil. And you put your head on that pillow, you're trying to figure out why your head's sliding off the pillow. Because when you leave, mama been anointing your pillow and said, Father, this child belongs to you. I gave my life to you. And so Satan, you cannot have my child because I will see the salvation of the Lord in my child. Satan, you cannot have my marriage. God has ordained marriage, so therefore do what you have to. But we're going to trust that our marriage is going to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Ha, <laughs> ha. That's what the peace of Christ looks like. Peace be still. And Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20 says this, and he, Jesus Christ, is the visible image, is the visible God, image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him there is no chaos. Why? Because he says whatever has been trusted in the hands of God will reflect his order. He holds all things together, and he is the head of all things, the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What are you saying? When Jesus Christ looked up to heaven and said, Father, it is finished. Into thine hands I commit my spirit. It is at that point hell began to understand that if the church ever understand the power that is available to them through the cross of Jesus Christ, you will no longer have sleepless nights. Yeah. 
Oh, you can clap that for God, not for pastor. See, again, this perfect peace that God is giving us is not natural. It's natural for us to worry about our children when they leave. It's natural to worry how the bills are going to get paid when we get laid off. Let me just say this. Let me say this, and we'll get to our last point. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're not careful and you begin to walk in the perfect peace of God where the stuff on the outside does not affect the stuff on the inside, there are going to be people around you, close to you, will almost interpret that as you don't care because you're not jumping out of the window doing backflips. They're going to look at you like, don't you, did you not hear what I just said? The mortgage is in trouble. Baby, do you realize because I lost my, if I had the money, it would be paid right now? <laughs> Somebody laughing because they probably said the same thing. <laughs> but I want to leave you with a word of encouragement today. Your circumstances did not Get past God. God, because your circumstances popped up and you didn't see this coming, don't mean he didn't see it coming. As a matter of fact, because God is omniscient, all-knowing, he knew that. So if he knew this was coming, he's already worked out the details. Well, I know what some of you are saying. Well, I wish he would give me the answer and call me and give me a fax or an email and let me know the details. Can I tell you what he's really doing? He's trying to build your most holy faith. God is trying to solidify our faith. For the trying of our faith, work in patience and let patience have her perfect. I always wonder why they said her with patience. Okay, I ain't going to even go there. Um, I looked at every man, every man went. I, I, look, it don't take the Spirit of God to see what the men was saying. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I got to go home with it. Don't do that. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Number three, in light of us knowing who's the author of chaos and confusion, and the reason why we had to identify who the author of confusion was because there was a tendency that Every time something chaotic and something go wrong, there's always a tendency to blame God and people walk away. Most atheists who are declared as atheists once had a born-again relationship with God, but because they couldn't reconcile or logically think through the tragedy they went through and it didn't make sense, God is good, then why does this bad happen to me? I love God. He loves me. Why is it bad? So therefore, because uh, I had a bad experience, God didn't change it being all-powerful. Therefore, there must not be a God, so they walked away. And you have to be careful that you do not let that logic nor that reasoning, that human reasoning, selectively cause you to walk away from God because you can't understand it. Did you hear what I just said? Satan is after one thing, that's your faith. And he will use any tool, any circumstance, and any person to shake your faith. But I want you to take your faith and put it on the solid promises of God's word. And Lord, if you save me and I've trusted you for my eternal soul, you're going to work out the details. All you all need to know is, Lord God, I'm going to trust you in it. Now, what do we do? Point three. How should we respond to these truths? Why is the world the way it is? What is the source of our truth? And number three. How should we respond to these truths? Three things I'm going to leave you. Number one, don't let 
fear overtake you. Don't let fear overtake you. Anybody ever experienced this where you had someone that was drowning and you dove in the water to, to save them? Anybody ever experienced that? To dive in the water? Yeah. Get your hands up. Let me see you. Okay. I took a water safety class in college. They said one of the things you do not want to do when someone is drowning is swim in front of them because they're in a state of panic mode and they will not only kill themselves, but they will kill you. Why? Because they're not acting rationally. Everything about their lives is saying, my life is about to end. I'm in something that I cannot find any, any substance to, and I'm trying to get up on top of the wall, and it's not happening. It don't look well. I don't, I don't know what that look like. <laughs> and they're sinking. And so here you come. The reason why they panic and try to put you in a death grip is because they, in a state of panic, they're trying to hold on to something solid that will give them evidence that I'm going to survive this. So when you're in the middle of your circumstances, do not let fear overtake you. Because if you do, even as a believer, you will start responding wrong to even truth. God will send people to help you and you will hurt them because you think you can't survive this. Look what it says. Isaiah chapter 41.10, it says this, fear not. Now, interesting. Why would God tell us not to fear? Because he knows you're going to have opportunities to fear. But he says, fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. What will he do? I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know what he's saying with my righteous right hand? He said, I will hold you with my righteous standard. The Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him coming in. What is the standard? For those of you who have ever seen the Civil War and those of you who have ever seen hand-to-hand -hand combat, the standard is the flag that you represent. And when you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat and war, as long as the flag is flying, yeah, there is hope that we have a chance to win. It is when the guy bearing the standard, the flag falls, then it becomes shaky. We don't have a chance to win. So it says when the enemy comes in, like a flood, God will raise up his righteous standard, his truth against the lies that the enemy is trying to get you to see. False evidence appearing real. So God will raise up his standard of truth. I know I lost this, but God, I will trust you because you are my supplier. God, I know I'm sick, but by your stripes I'm healed. And every time you declare it, you're raising the true righteous standard of God against what the enemy is pressing against you. So how should we respond to truth? Don't let fear overtake you. Number two, trust the Lord in everything. Say it with me. Trust the Lord in everything. Say it again. One more time. Now I want you to make it personal. It says, I will trust the Lord in everything. Say it. Now I know it's easy to say this here. But as soon as you walk out that door, look what he says. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean 
on your, your own, your own. Why does he tell you not to lean on your own understanding? Because we stupid. <laughs> I love you, but we stupid. <laughs> you know why he tells you not to lean to your own understanding? Because our understanding is shallow. He knows that we have a tendency to, that, that things that we see have a tendency to govern our emotions. And we go where our heart goes. So he says, do not lean unto your own understanding. But watch this. In all your ways, what? In all your ways. Lord, I'm going through this, but I'm going to acknowledge you in it. And he will make straight your path. Fear is designed to knock you off your faith path. Fear is designed by the enemy to paint a picture to show you that God really doesn't care and he has forgotten all about you. And that's false evidence appearing real. And finally, what do you do with all these truths? Redirect your focus. Redirect your focus. Tina, I know, you know, I always like to mess with her. We were, in the, we were in the office this morning, me and Pastor Farone, and we were praying. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Farone did a double tech. He, he did this, and he walked up to Vern's picture, and he went, man, that's what Vern had hair. <laughs> For those of you who don't know why I call him Hollywood. And he went, man, this guy is gorgeous. <laughs> no, I'm saying that. That's what I said when I saw the picture. And I called him Hollywood. It's not that he's Hollywood no more because he don't have his hair. I've seen the things that hair is doing. And my son been trying to convince me, Dad, you always tell my Pastor Vern is your, your twin, so you need to get your hair cut. I ain't doing that. <laughs> see, I can see why you did a double take when you first saw him. You're like, whoa. See, when you're in the middle of something, you have to redirect your focus. The purpose of chaos and fear is to cause you to get your eyes off of the source of your peace. So what you have to do is redirect your focus. Because whatever we focus on, we magnify. And David said, I will magnify. Oh, come, let us magnify the Lord with me. In other words, let's focus on God and make him bigger than our circumstances. Because whatever we focus on, we have a tendency to make bigger than our God. How do we do that? How do we do that? In Psalms chapter 121, verse 1 through 8, here's how we do that. Everywhere in the Bible, when they talk about Jerusalem, and a pilgrim, Jewish pilgrim was traveling, and he says, we will travel up to Jerusalem. We will travel up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place of refuge for every Jewish person. And so David understood that as they traveled, they said, we look up to Jerusalem. So how do we redirect our focus? Psalms 121, verse 1 through 8 tells us, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He will keep you and will not, he that keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel never slumber, nor does he sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil, and he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So what is God saying to us? He said, I don't sleep, nor do I slumber. If I have kept you on Friday, I'm going to keep you on Saturday. And if I was the God on Saturday, I'm going to be the God on Sunday. And if I was your God on Sunday, I'm your God on Monday. I'm going to be your God on Tuesday. I'm going to be the God on Wednesday. I'll be your God on Thursday. I'll be your God on Friday. I will be because I don't slumber nor do I sleep. And I will guard your steps and make sure you do not stumble. And that's a promise as you stand to your feet this morning. And that's the promise we have. So what do you take away from this message? What action steps when you walk out of that door should you apply to this message? The enemy is going to give you an opportunity to fear. Make a conscious step that the first time fear try to enter in, allow the peace of God to guard your, guard your heart. No, I will not fear. I will not fear. That's the first thing you're going to do. Secondly, when things start spiraling out of control, if they're not doing it, they're doing it now. Commit everything to God. Commit it all. Father, you grab your, your family and say, Lord, today we commit everything to you. And then third, some of us need to redirect our focus because we've been focusing on the wrong thing. We've been looking at the problem versus the solution. Three things. Don't let fear overtake you. Trust the God in everything redirect your focus. Father, we thank you. We know that many of your children this morning are in the heat of the battle. Lord, we continue praying for Sam Sanderson. We continue lifting him up. Lord, we will not be moved by what we see. If there's a 1% chance, God, that's enough for you to show up. To every person in this church that is battling with a physical ailment, Whatever the name of that ailment is, we exalt the name of Jesus above that name. Because everything with a name has to submit itself under the authority of the name of Jesus. So we take authority over every sickness and its name. Fear, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You have held God's people long enough. Today we put our feet in the promises of God. We draw a line in the sand and says, we will trust everything to God. For if you have saved us for eternity, you will keep us in this life. Father, we will redirect our focus. We will lift up our eyes to you, O oh God. And we will not be moved by the circumstances that we see. Because fear is not real. Lord, you've given us your peace. If you choose not to change the outside, change me on the inside. Lord, if you don't change what I see, God, change how I see it. And I choose to focus on you. All victory, all glory, and honor go to our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you.
In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you and may God go with you.